1: WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNNbet.com to start winning.
2: The biggest takeaway. Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find his Zero RB Watch at Rotoviz. His other podcasts with Colm Kelly, the uh, Rotoviz Overtime Pod at Rotoviz. Everything else he does at Rotoviz. Sean, how you doing?
3: Good. Colum and I recorded earlier today. We got that Tuesday edition out. It was a lot of fun. The Kansas City Chiefs were able to escape the New York Giants. We do have a sense of the level the Chiefs are playing at. They are playing at the New York Giants level. So uh, Patrick Mahomes got a lot of passes to Travis Kelsey. Ben, you and I have a team that went into Monday Night Football. We were down two points in the Hill versus Kelsey Battle. Fortunately, our guy was the one who came through on Monday night Patrick Mahomes threw the ball exclusively behind the line of scrimmage in this game, and yet we did get 12 receptions for Tyreek Hill. But this is our best team. We have a number of teams doing well. I'm excited about how this is all working out. How would you say we're doing in our attempts to have six of the top 15 wide receivers? We talk about it a lot that for zero RB or modified zero running back, you were trying to get six of those top 15 guys uh, our top end is looking pretty good. And I think that if we can get a little bit more, really, we need one more breakout to have this team where we want it. And we have some multiple options to get there.
2: Yeah, I sent you a, uh, a note about this team that I was getting very excited about it. Uh, I mean, obviously the Derrick Henry news, uh, a huge bummer. I mean, I, I just, like I wrote about this in Stealing Signals this week. I know you, know, you know, obviously Sean, you and I don't draft him a lot. And I know people are, I was sort of, you know, wondering how people are going to respond to this type of thing. Obviously, you don't want to root for injuries. I it having talked with you off the air and behind the scenes over the years, like neither of us enjoys this. Uh, and sometimes it can come across disingenuous to be like, yeah, this is going to help our teams, but we also don't want to see this happen. Yes, this is sort of the the kind of chaos that we talk about when we talk about zero RB. You know, it's an example of something that we say can happen, even though we don't know specifically whether it will or when or how it might. But that doesn't mean we're, like, grateful that it – you know what I mean? Like, i it's just – it's an important point to make, and it can come across disingenuous, I think, and it's something that I do want to emphasize because – I mean, both things are – I'm boned. It's fun to watch. He's a very, very fun football player to watch. I'm comparing him to Jim Brown lately. I was actually really excited to see how long he could keep this going. I mean, it's been – Really, an incredible run.
3: Yeah, and I, I talked about. I wrote an extended introduction to the Monday article this week, really talking about this and how we know these things are going to happen, and we build the teams around it. But we're not rooting for it. Uh, we don't have any Derrick Henry. We're rooting against him. But we're rooting against him to be stopped on the field, not stopped by injuries. And this robs a little bit of the excitement of having a DeAndre Swift team or having one of these other early round running backs. You know, if you have a a Camara team or a cook team, Elliot, Aaron Jones, you know, we have our big team here uh, is fortunate enough to have Najee Harris. Uh, Now you can't compare head to head how that team would have done against Derek Henry because he's not there. And so it's not like you're worried that the Henry owners are just going to have excuses. That kind of thing happens. I mean, it, whether or not someone stays healthy is relevant to how the season plays out but just for yourself i mean that sense of accomplishment and that sense of excitement as we go down now we won't be able to see those teams play head to head obviously there's the human element of this is a real person we were excited for what he was doing as a reality player and i compared it to and i'm sure that there are some examples in between but for me it was a lot like when priest Holmes went down in 2004 coming off of back-to-back you know 400 point fantasy season i wasn't really playing fantasy seriously at that time but obviously growing up in kansas city a huge chiefs fan you have this guy who's in the middle suffers what i mean he played for a couple more years after that but was never the same it was essentially a career-ending injury for him hopefully that won't be the case for derrick henry priest holmes was older his injury was more significant the kind of thing that doesn't really heal very well well you know i, I hope that henry comes back i've it sounds like he's done. I mean, there were there were some statements that maybe he could be back for the reality playoffs if the Titans do make it. I'm kind of rooting for them now. Uh, would love to see what he could do in the reality postseasons. The more likely thing is just that he'll be back in 2022, and I hope he comes out roaring, just like he did this year, and and, and looks the way he's looked because all of the star players in the NFL bring that energy, that excitement that, that makes the whole thing fun and. You, know, you contrast this, and then some of the other news. Uh, you, you know, you just you feel for Calvin Ridley. You hope that he is doing okay. You hope for it. you're rooting for, and just sending your thoughts and and you know, hoping for the spiritual health of everybody involved in the rug situation. Some of these bad things will happen. None of that yeah, is, yeah. is anything that we want to see. Yeah, for the for the football community, it hasn't been great. And so,
2: you know, thoughts are with Calvin Ridley. And thoughts are with the, the victims and in the Henry Ruggs thing and and that is just such a heartbreaking situation, obviously. Um, but you know, one of the things that, that you said in there as well was just sort of the the idea of you know wanting wanting to lose to to other teams that are in their best. I mean, just to circle back to Henry, I mean I it's like it's like fun to have a foil that is just like so anti, you know, high value touches and everything, and he's just unstoppable, man. And like I I don't want to lose to some crappy team with some crappy players on it. Like it is kind of um, you know, sometimes you can just throw shrug your shoulders and be like, dude, this is Derrick Henry doing amazing things. And I mean, it's uh it's almost like I'd rather lose to the Derrick Henry team in, in some ways. So yeah, anyway, I mean, from the from the 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 fantasy perspective, the competitive perspective, it does suck, like you said from the football community perspective, we don't get to watch Derrick Henry. Now, now we watch Jeremy McNichols and Adrian Peterson at 36 and we won't have Calvin Ridley out there, which is, you know, obviously an entirely different situation, totally understandable. We hope, you know, he'll be back when he's ready. We won't have rugs out there, which is, you know, a a third situation, obviously, but it just, it, it does like, you know, it's not, as enjoyable you know i don't want to lump all these in together they're very different situations but it's not as enjoyable to have to not have the best talents on the field obviously and that's that's a huge part of it It really that point really relates most specifically to henry
3: and we look at some of these things that happen and you know people always ask us how are you going to play those eight wide receivers and as the season develops you, you find out very quickly that there are just so many different ways that you could not have someone you were counting on and you want to win. During the bye weeks, you want to have an ascending team as you get to the fantasy playoffs. And in order to do that, you've got to have a lot of depth. So, our team there, we're lucky enough to have started with Tyreek Hill. We have Debo Samuel. We have Jamar Chase, three of the top five. Then, out of Chase Claypool, who is struggling because Ben Roethlisberger cannot complete, at this point, perhaps not even throw deep passes. We have Terry McLaurin on the bye this week. Uh, his air yard numbers and air yard share always extremely high but without anybody else to demand defensive attention and with heineke struggling a little bit in that environment he hasn't been able to convert quite as well as we'd like still averaging over 15 and a half points per game you can't uh, just shrug your shoulders to that we're also hoping that some guys get healthy will fuller michael gallup both of those players especially gallup it looks like will come back off of ir in the short term here add even more firepower to that Dallas offense, and then Kadarius Tony. Uh, based on how little or how inconsistently he was playing on Monday night before Sterling Shepard goes out again, it would seem like he's not anywhere close to one hundred percent. But an exciting talent who you know kind of fits what they need. Do you have a favorite to emerge there and become, say, our fourth and fifth weapons as we fight down the stretch?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm going to pose that back to you because you're the you're the sixth wide receiver guy, but. I, the, part of the reason I went off on the tangent with Henry was I did send you a note. And, you know, as I was working through the the Henry news on Monday and sort of thinking about where you'd want to be positioned at this point, one of the first things I thought was, you know, to, to me, and I wrote about this in stealing signals, like Henry was sort of the last running back to that had the, I think the potential to have that legendary season that, as Pat Corrine put it in his great works uh, this off season I mean, I think Austin Eckler and Najee Harris, they're both up over 20 points per game. They're not really, they are neither of them's over 22 points per game. Not particularly close to 25 points per game. We've had at least one player hit 25, one running back at 25 points per game and play at least 14 games in every season since all the way back in 2015 when, when Devonta Freeman was the RB1 and he was at about 21 points per game and no one else got over 17. It was a complete, you know, running back, RB apocalypse, as we were all calling it. or running back, you know, it was there was no high end running back scoring this year. Now with Henry out, we only have those two guys, Eckler and Harris, up over twenty points. Neither again over twenty two. No one really that close to twenty five. It does not seem likely that we're going to have this legendary season. And so I was kind of thinking through, like, what is this going to mean for the for the fantasy season? Who's going to what? What types of builds are going to win essentially? And I think. Probably you would like to have one of Eckler or Harris in the first couple of rounds at this point, because there is still the relative value of those running backs and all those things. But certainly zero running back is in a position to do well as well. If you do have the right receivers, there have been some some clear misses in the early parts of uh, the draft, especially. And since there's been some big receiver hits later with Chase and with Debo, who we both have on this team, and obviously with Cooper Cup. You know, you, the, the first couple of rounds, you could certainly have gone running back and then and then hit on some receivers in the fourth, fifth. I mean, the biggest thing was, like, you you had to have been targeting receivers in that dead zone where that receiver upside lies because some of that is really, really hit this year. But as I was thinking through it, I was like, you probably want Tyreek Hill because he's the guy I think that Casey has this playoff schedule that sets up nice. It's one of the reasons we liked him. They could be in for some shootouts. Obviously, things aren't going great with Casey's offense now, but certainly Tyreek Hill has the potential to have – two ceiling games and that three week stretch in the main event that can be just so massive in total points overall that he could be basically the key player you have to have. And he was essentially only a first round pick. So he might wind up being that guy. And then, you know, early, you're probably talking about the later round draft selection spots, you know, certainly McCaffrey could come back, cook, could come back, that you know, and do very well, but those are guys that have missed time and they're, the people that drafted them are probably not in great spots. There's not gonna be a lot of teams that make the final tournament without those guys, you know, having contributed much all year. The ones that do will certainly have a contrarian element to their builds and things like that. But I do think having Tyreek Kill at the top would be really interesting. And then having somebody like a Najee Harris. And then I thought, well, Sean, we have a team like that. I went and looked it up and, and that's why I messaged you. And we do have Debo and Jamar Chase on this roster. We have TJ Hawkinson on this roster. It's a really, really nice team. Your your question is, you know, do we have the six receivers necessary? And part of my question is, do we have the quarterback upside necessary? But a big part of that will be, you know, I I think the key player is Terry McLaurin. I mean, we we picked at the one two turn, and we got Terry McLaurin late in the third round, way after ADP. He's not a guy that we were actively targeting, but he was such a clear value at that point. We took him. We we uh, recorded this. Anyone who was listening back during draft season. I'm sure remembers us discussing it that we felt really good about specifically sort of the differentiation element. We might be the only team out there that has Hill, Harris, and then has a McLaurin. So if McLaurin steps up, that is something that could really make this team have a chance, you know, in a a perfect world scenario to contend for the overall title. I mean, it does still have Debo and Chase, two of those key players you have to have. It doesn't have Cup, who may be the most key player right now. But I think McLaurin is the one, at least from a perfect world standpoint, that I'm excited about. Still excited about Gallup and Fuller when they get back. Tony is the other really big wild card. Um, Claypool, I would say I'm not, I'm not particularly excited about right now.
3: Like Claypool, it's it's all it's all done there.
2: I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I'm looking at this team. It's 198 overall. It's a lot of fun. We've given up a ton of points at the quarterback position. We don't have a clear answer there yet. And we're seven and one, we're in first place, but there are three other teams in our league with over 1200 points already. So there's a lot of competition, some good builds just in this individual league much less than the whole thing. So we've got a lot that we will be dealing with. You mentioned this Harris build. I really like him in there with the double-digit EP in terms of rush, in terms of receive. That's why we went for him. We also are looking at a lot of teams actually had Jonathan Taylor in the second round. I think that that gives them a chance to have you know someone like a Tyreek Hill with him. We have him on a couple teams in that situation. DeAndre Swift is a little bit less exciting after the complete meltdown with Detroit. Not only did he lose the garbage time touches or the ones that ended up being really valuable on. The drive where they actually scored but he had a big offside or a uh, illegal formation penalty that wiped out a good play for them he had a fumble that was returned for a touchdown didn't have a good game didn't have a good reality game and that's something that we're always looking for from our players too you have a better chance of impressing your coach getting those key touches when you do actually play well but there are some formulations like that that i really like I do think that Hawkinson now, and this was kind of the thing. I, I'm not off pits at all. I don't want to give that impression. But when I was mentioning on our big show last week that with Pitts, it was an example of a couple of big games. And, you know, where might we go with him? Uh, we kind of see this fluctuating back and forth where now I think if you have TJ Hawkinson like this team does, you've got to be pretty excited because he's been able to fight through this time period where maybe he was enough compromised, even though he played through it, that it was hurting him. The defenses were obviously giving him extra attention. The team was talking a lot about how opposing defenses are trying to take him away. What do we do about it? Is he good enough? And is Jared Goff good enough? Because both of those things, especially the Goff part is a real question to fight through this. It was really exciting to see him catch 10 of 11 passes here in a tight end premium. You get 10 receptions. You're well on your way to a big game, uh, regardless of what else might happen there. So I'm excited for that. One of the things we talked a little bit about this on the previous show, but Devontae Parker's return seemed to foul up kind of what the Dolphins were doing passing-wise. Now, a lot of this is simply that they played a good pass defense, and Waddle was not efficient with the targets that he got in that game. So that's a little bit of an element there. But Fuller, I mean, he's been so good, and yet in a passing offense that's struggling and could have a lot of different targets that it's going to. I guess I have my concerns about that, especially when we don't know. I mean, they they claim that he's getting a little bit closer, but you see a little bit from Jerry Judy. Again, apples and oranges, but Judy not looking like himself coming back. You have a situation where they have Coraline Sutton. Tim Patrick was still involved. They've got the two tight ends. That could be similar to what we're looking at with Fuller to where you actually like to have a couple of weeks that you can see him perform before you start to plug him in on a lineup that you're trying to win in a big way with. So I'm hoping that he gets back sooner rather than later. You mentioned some of the situation here, and this is one of the things I was – actually a little bit surprised by when I went through the numbers today for the zero RB watch, I was focusing on the NFC this week that it's just pretty bleak actually for some of the top guys. You look at Alvin Kamara, he had a negative eight fantasy points over expectation week. It was the second one of those that he's had this season. Mark Ingram returns, but Kamara's carry target split, you know, not what you would like, not what it was the previous week where it seemed like maybe he, you know, he will
2: break out. You get the quarterback injury. Season-low snap share for him as well. Season-low route share for Kamara as well. And so, I mean, we're talking about him.
3: I, one of the things with Kamara, and I think that, you know, people tend to really just ignore the efficiency stuff. But I, I, mean, I like to emphasize, especially when you look at it in terms of, of fantasy points over expectation and this EP versus FPOE sort of dynamic. These stars, they put up points that are above the workloads, and they do it consistently, and they give you exposure to a guy who could have big workloads Kamara, part of his profile has always been that he scores more than his workload would indicate. That's no longer really, I mean, I don't want to say it's not an option. We've seen him have incredible games this year. And as a pure running back, one of the most impressive things I think that's happened this season is that we've seen that Kamara could just be a guy you sit back there, hand the ball off to. He's still very, very good. The idea that he's somehow worse as a runner than some of these other people, and, and maybe that idea doesn't exist, but it's certainly for anybody who thought that, you know, that's been disproven. But his situation now not very good. We talked about selling Cook because his situation wasn't good. We had another, you know, nightmarish performance from Kirk Cousins. Just Justin Jefferson doesn't get the targets he should get, but also played very poorly against the Cowboys. That sets up a dynamic where Dalvin Cook doesn't get high value touches, and so you have a situation there. You know, going forward, schedule wise isn't very good. You have Ezekiel Elliott here where. The Cowboys actually rely more on the passing game. One of the things I mentioned in my article, I think it's kind of an interesting topic just sort of overall. Sometimes when the starting QB is out, we get this impression that now, okay, the offense is going to have to run through the running backs, especially if the running backs are very good. I mean, Elliot and Tony Pollard, are very interesting guys from that perspective, but especially when you don't have the passing threat and, or have it in the same way. We got a good game from the backup here, including an amazing game-winning touchdown pass to Amari Cooper in the back of the end zone there. But, when you don't have the elite QB that can manage some of these drives, and where you can hand off, hand off, hand off, com- complete the pass, you need to keep the drive going. You actually need to go more to the pass, even though it's counterintuitive, because passing plays are simply just worth so much more on a per-play basis. We saw that happen in this game. Their pass rate in neutral game situations jumped up over their season average. Elliot. Uh, it was stuffed with the Vikings thinking, okay, well, they're going to try and work through him. They were able to stop him. When you look at Elliott's talent level now within the context of Tony Pollard also siphoning touches, you have a lot of these first-round draft picks who it's not that they're bad. It's not that you don't want them on your team. And it's not even necessarily you had a better option because someone like Derrick Henry now is injured. But Tyree Hill, when compared to those guys, Uh, becomes uh, I think pretty exciting right these top running backs they don't necessarily have the ability to carry teams in the way I think a lot of the second round running backs even now have going forward then we're going to take a break right now but when we come back we're going to sort of circle back around to this idea of the New Orleans Saints they have the big win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They own them during the regular season, but they're now looking at uh, really a sea change in terms of the franchise. We hope Taysom Hill will be recovered from the concussion. He'll be back. That is relevant for Alvin Kamara, is relevant for the pass catchers, but also makes him an interesting choice as a quarterback as we get into these you know, more difficult times to fill rosters heading down the stretch. I'm gonna get your thoughts on Taysom Hill and the Saints' new direction offense when we come back.
1: Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over. The NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass, just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: All right, Ben, as we continue to work through the buys and we know that the rushing ability, and we can see what Justin feels just with the one game where he actually does break out and create some rushing value, how the interest in him obviously skyrockets. Taysom Hill, a guy who can do that and really could be Jameis Winston, because Jameis Winston was not impressive, could be that plus the rushing in the Saints offense. How excited are you for Hill? And what does this mean for Alvin Kamara, who's already been dealing with so much this season?
2: Yeah, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to go into this um, is I do think most of my readers of stealing signals are also listening, and I hope, because the the Saints, to to be perfectly honest, was the Saints game was one of the last ones I did this week, and uh, I kind of went through it, I guess, a little too quick, because I didn't really spend a lot of time considering the ramifications of Taysom Hill. I was a little bit, actually, potentially excited about Alvin Kamara, that the snap rate was down to a season low, the routes were down to a season low. But uh, Mark uh Alvin Kamara got all six of the green zone touches. Mark Ingram had a couple of catches but didn't run a ton of routes. Um, and it looks like basically Mark Ingram can be there to help take some of the heat off on, on some of the low-value touches. And Kamara might have a pretty good hold on the high-value touches, which would be nice because he hadn't had more than five high-value touches in uh, any of their games before the bye, their first five games. And the past two, he's been, uh, I believe it's 11 and eight or 13 and eight. I mean, way, way higher back in Alvin Kamara range. Cause that's sort of where he's typically sat is in the high single digits. And at times breaking into double digits. And so that's why the, you know, the first five games were so bizarre. I mean, that's just one way of putting it, but we, we know he's been in a different role this year, but these last couple of weeks has gotten work around the goal line has gotten receptions in a, in a way that's been really helpful. And so, Part of me was a little bit optimistic that, okay, even though the snaps go down and everything, a higher percentage of his touches will be these high-value touches, which could be very positive. The part that I feel like I didn't really think through was the impact of Taysom Hill. Basically, I was just thinking, okay, James Winston's hurt, but Trevor Simeon was playing, and you know he was similar to to Winston. But obviously, Hill is is the likely starter now. And Hill's going to change things pretty drastically. He's not going to throw to the running backs a ton. Even when he did throw to the running back some last year, I think we talked about this in the offseason, I just recall a couple plays, and I remember I went back and looked at a couple of them in the offseason where, I mean, there are some quarterbacks that are just good at getting the ball out on time to the running backs, and there's others that sort of treat the check down as this last minute sort of freak out and fire the ball in their general direction. And it doesn't seem like it should be sort of that complicated to just dump it off to the running back, but... Um, there were definitely some plays last year where Kamara couldn't even essentially catch the, the target because Taysom Hill either fired it at him from about three yards away, or, you know, wasn't able to basically get an accurate dump off to him. And then more practically, it's just not going to dump off a lot. He's going to be someone who's going to look downfield, make his read and then run. And that's how, you know, we see that with a lot of the scrambling quarterbacks. So thinking through that a little more, then you're a little more concerned about the fact that Alvin Kamara loses snaps and loses routes if there's not really going to be a lot of high-value touches in the offense generally, which I think there won't. I think there will be a pretty substantial dip if Taysom Hill is starting. He's going to also factor into the green zone touches, into the rushing touchdown equation. And so that's a negative, right? And so there are a lot of elements here that, um, for me, that actually become pretty worrisome for Kamara. But Hill himself is a pretty interesting fantasy player i mean we know that he can rush for a bunch of touchdowns he had the five excuse me four starts last year he rushes for two tds in each of the first two but didn't throw a lot and then in each of the last two he doesn't rush for any tds but he does run for uh, 116 total yards over those two games which is a really nice base of points you know even if you're not rushing for touchdowns the fact that you're running for for that many yards is very positive but he throws for over 200 yards and two touchdowns in both games so it's one of those things where you, you get this type of quarterback who is going to be so involved in the offensive production one way or another. And he'll maybe more so than most. I mean, certainly as much as you know, like the Jalen hurts is of the world where it's almost like, because of his own deficiencies, they can't easily incorporate the running back. I mean, we see that with like, I don't know, Kyler, they they still find ways to use uh, Chase Edmonds and, and uh, James Connor at times. I don't know. At times with the Eagles, it's almost been like we have to let Hurts either throw or pass and make the play in part because of his own deficiencies. I don't know if that really makes a whole lot of sense, but I I think that's somewhat true with Hill where you kind of have to just lean into the fact that Hill is your quarterback and let him be basically the offensive identity. He's going to be the the playmaker, so to speak, which makes it really hard to then feature Kamara, but it it becomes a, a, a big time positive for Hill in the sense that whatever types of yards are being gained. I mean, obviously there's going to be some running back rushing yards, but a lot of the yards that are being gained are either going to be him passing or him running. You know, there's going to be some games potentially where they don't do a lot at all offensively, but assuming they at least have some floor of offensive overall yardage, he's going to account for a really high percentage of that in the games that he starts. So I think he's a very, very interesting pickup. Certainly now that, you know, he's probably, I would say likely to start the rest of the season and the concussion there
3: probably the the concern because uh, when you've missed some time and then very sadly one of the things with concussions is that you do have some re-injury issues in the same way that some of these soft tissue injuries obviously you're also worrying about re-injury with some of those but you know if he's healthy uh, there's no reason he can't be a jalen hurts type of impact player which in fantasy is fantastic for you and the fact that he would have a weapon like Kamara with him. One of the things I think is a little bit different than last season is just the complete lack of passing options for the Saints is going to keep Kamara uh, involved or give them incentive to design pass plays to him, plays where it doesn't necessarily rely on him being the third, fourth, fifth read, something like that that Drew Brees really excelled at. And so you're not going to have those types of receptions to Kamara that you would get with Brees. You no longer have that massive ceiling. I think Kamara can still perform in an admirable fashion but uh, again he's in that group of backs that i don't think that we can count on to really win i mean win weeks but maybe not win the whole thing right Win you the five hundred thousand dollars, that type of dynamic then something he was going in the second round this season and had a ton of upside and one of the things that i thought was kind of interesting this past week uh, with the green bay packers and Devontae adams not being there Aaron Jones and just to kind of go through the numbers a little bit from 2019 to 2020 he was a 15.7 ep per game guy and 6.7 of those came as a receiver right so the 15 and a half is not really where we need him to be to be a first round pick the second round pick makes sense the six and a half as a receiver again not where you need him to be to be this legendary type of running back but with his talent and with Aaron Rodgers as the guy, I mean, he's just been like clockwork in that three and a half fantasy points over expectation range to where that's getting you pretty close now to that 20 point per game level to where you're like, I'll definitely take, you know, 19, 20 points per game from my second round running back. The thing that had been weird is those numbers in 2021 were lower despite the departure of Jamal Williams, who had been averaging a little over four points per game in terms of receiving ep now he doesn't have that new role with Detroit but he definitely had it last year with the Packers and so for him to leave and aj dylan not to really take that over and Dillon, someone he had the uh four targets in week five but he's only got two since then and dylan you know we've got him on some teams you and i love him we think he's a huge talent i was going back through the Packers one of these teams where they actually throw down inside the five which can be a little bit tricky. Dylan, despite his size, athleticism profile, only I think the one carry inside the five. So that's hurting him despite the fact that he looks great. 16 carries, 70 plus yards in this one. The thing that is so notable about this is that with Devontae Adams out, he gets the 11 targets. That's better than any previous two-game stretch this season. And with those 11 targets, he's now back to the full profile that he had from 2019 to 2020. And so, if you have Aaron Jones, I think you have to be very excited about the fact that when they need explosiveness, when they play a good team, when they have any issues with the receiving weapons, and they no longer have Robert Tanya, too. He hasn't been involved in a huge way. But even if a guy hasn't been involved, if he had the potential to get back involved, and you have the potential for some of these other guys to take away some workload, Aaron Jones clearly the centerpiece. When the Packers need points, I think that if you have him, you've got to
2: be very excited about what just happened. Yeah, I definitely agree. There, um, a couple of interesting points. I mean, I completely agree with the way you framed the way that they use him, which I think is interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people are sort of aware of that trend now with with the Devontae Adams splits when he's in and out. But it is something we talk about, like is this player the best player on his team or is he the second best player or what? Like that's the Packers clearly see it that way that, you know, uh, sometimes you'll hear um, in in relation to play calling football, people talk about calling or think players, not plays, right. Instead of calling plays called designs that, that get the ball in the hands of specific players. And same, same thing is true with game planning and everything else. And that's something that we're kind of chasing when we talk a lot about efficiency and all these things and not just focusing on the actual opportunity that's been there before. And we've seen this, uh, you know, I, the, the flip side we've seen. We saw it with Robbie Anderson last week, very much deprioritized. He's been very inefficient, did not get a lot of opportunity. We saw with Odo Beckham, he got one target, ran a ton of rounds, got one target. And they're talking about trading him, right? Like he's just not a part of what they want to do right now. Baker May feels like I could not throw a pass and have any comfort that he's going to
3: be on the other end of that when that ball comes down.
2: Right. And so we see the, the other side of it. It's not like super cut and dry. Those guys aren't you know completely without any value at this point in fantasy. But this is, this is part of the equation that gets discussed, I think, the least. And this, it's probably one of the biggest sort of edges that we can provide here on Stealing Bananas that we like to talk about a lot is understanding efficiency, understanding these little things. And it's, it's in some ways very simple. Like Aaron Jones is very, very good. And the Packers, when Devonta Adams out, they say, look, we need to get the ball to Aaron Jones. And that's, you know, so anyway, I completely agree with all of those points. The A.J. Dillon thing was maddening. I wrote about it kind of extensively in Stealing Signals this week. He did not get any carries instead of five. He got one at the seven. I just went on the whole season. Oh, for the whole season, he only has one. I mean, it's it's been crazy. Yes, he only has a couple green zone touches the entire year. What was so crazy about that in that particular game was, first of all, in the second quarter, they got down to the three-yard line after the uh, Rondell Moore fumble. They threw three straight times, couldn't complete any passes to nobodies, right? They have no receivers, and, and they kick a field goal. Then they get back down there in the fourth quarter with an opportunity to put the game away. They have a first-and-goal from the three. They throw the ball. They get a defensive pass interference. Now they get a first-and-goal from the one. They run it with Aaron Jones. I understand running it with Aaron Jones, because Aaron Jones has been a very effective green zone runner in his own right. And he scored and then they reviewed it. And I mean, I I saw some people say, show me the angle where he didn't score. I mean, my opinion is that he, it was pretty clear that he didn't get in, but you know, to each his own, it it could have very well been, uh, you know, a a play that stood. He didn't get in or he wasn't ruled to have gotten in is what I'm trying to say. It didn't count. They ran to him again on second down. He didn't get in third down. They took a delay of game. So they threw kind of understand that they're back at the five, five and a half or whatever. And that's when Rogers did the run, the scramble and lowered his shoulder and tried to power in and got tackled at the one. Now they have a fourth and goal at the one, another opportunity at the one yard line and they throw and they don't convert. And it nearly costs them the game because Arizona goes all the way back down the field and is in scoring position. And if AJ green didn't as one of my Twitter followers uh, quoted you didn't feel so offended to have been targeted like he does at times (laughs) as as sean siegel likes to put it they probably would have been able to score on that drive and and potentially won that game arizona would have what is so maddening is 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 the sum of the of the of the multiple drives you have all these plays from the three yard line and then you throw three times the first time around the next time around you throw from the three you did get the dpi you run twice to aaron jones you end up throwing again on fourth down from the one you, there's basically five called pass plays, two called runs. The runs are both Aaron Jones. Again, not going to complain too much about that, but if you're going to go away from running with Aaron Jones in close, I don't understand the five pass plays. And and I also will say, especially in this game where A.J. Dillon was running so physically, there was an early fourth down where he got met a yard behind the line of scrimmage. He powers through that. He's two yards behind the sticks. It's a fourth and one, and he, he powers through that and gains three yards. He had another play where he put the spin move on the guy who had filled the the running lane, and he had a one-on-one in the backfield, puts a spin move on him. He's quick as well as big.
3: Well, and one of the things, too, with Dylan that I think is interesting, you you see on a couple of these plays, and it kind of goes back to the evaluation coming into the NFL where there were a lot of evaluators who thought that he wouldn't transition very well, even though he was so productive in college, even though he's so big, even though he's so athletic. But you see the patience right on some of these plays, too where he lets the blocking develop or he looks for the hole, he does the stutter step. And then when he hits, he hits with that full, you know, 240 pounds or whatever he is and that full athleticism. And that's the combination that is so valuable there. And I'm not criticizing anybody who was down on him. We all know that it's very easy to miss on evaluations. It's not that aspect of it. I'm simply saying that what looked like maybe it was a weakness in college, this uncertainty was actually patience. And, you know, to go to your point of how good he looked, I mean, he does all of those things that a big guy can do, but he also has this ability to find the hole and to wait for the blocking to develop. He just looks absolutely fantastic out there.
2: Yeah. He looks like a great runner. I will say, I mean, Jones hits holes quicker. I mean, Jones is one of the most explosive backs in the NFL. Sean, you've compared him to Jamal Charles before your favorite running back ever, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the most electric running backs ever. I mean, arguably the most electric running back of all time. Uh, Certainly like stats like yards per carry would agree. Um, You you can throw in Barry Sanders or whoever, but nobody hit a hole harder than Jamal Charles. Uh, But look, Aaron Jones is a similar player to that. There's a reason that he does look really good and explosive and hits holes a little bit quicker and harder than A.J. Dillon. And and by comparison, sometimes Dillon looks like he is a little bit patient or or, or maybe slower and doesn't necessarily get back to the line of scrimmage. But he's also massive, and I think that's important. And, And anyway, where I was going with this, he had one carry out of 16 where he got stopped for no gain, zero for loss, one for no gain, one for a yard. I think it was 11 of his 16 carries went for four yards or more. I mean, everything, all game was him falling forward. And he had that fourth down conversion early. That was a fourth and short, very similar to a goal line play where he's met in the backfield and he hits head on, hits the defender and runs him over like a linebacker. Like he's the linebacker and gains three yards and gets the first down. He's all fired up. He looked fantastic running the ball all game. I do not understand how the Packers did not give him at least one opportunity from the three yard line and in Again, Aaron Jones, very, very good. Aaron Jones also not big. And when they're stacking the box like that and the game's on the line, it was challenging for Jones to just use his explosiveness to get into the end zone. In that situation, I mean, th- there's a reason we think of the big backs as the goal line backs, but the Packers are very, very content going only with Jones who has been very efficient in that, in that way. But the way that I saw this, and the reason I'm going into this whole explanation, number one, it made no sense. But number two, I see two things happening. One of two things. Either number one, we've already seen what they think, which is that Aaron A.J. Dylan for whatever reason, is not going to get goal line work, period. Or two, because they struggled so much in close, they have to go back and reconsider. And they watch the film and they say, well, we do have this 247 pound back who fell forward all game and everything was a positive run. Nothing was lost yardage maybe we should try this guy by the goal line and we see a change in a way that is actually really positive for AJ Dillon and would eventually be pretty negative for Aaron Jones. As it stands, the current usage is very clear. They only want to use Aaron Jones that close. Ben
3: AJ Dillon, you go into our advanced stats explorer on road he has been stuffed only 10% of the time this season. Among running backs with at least 50 carries, that is the second lowest rate in the entire NFL behind Tony Pollard. So, use him around the goal line. Maybe he won't get stuck. He'll get in.
2: I, I should have just used the advanced stats instead of instead of my 10-minute uh, soliloquy. I could have just asked
3: you for that. That would have been great. <laughs> no, I like the I like the nuance there and the enthusiasm. We know that Ben wants them to hand off to AJ Dillon. I do as well. Buy low. I'm gonna say it's a buy low. It's not a thing where they have decided against him. They have Aaron Rodgers, they do like to pass when you have Aaron Rodgers, you kind of understand it, but AJ Dillon is about ready to make his mark. Then it was kind of interesting. I don't know how interested you are in this, but you mentioned Jamal Charles and without the context, these guys are not Jamal Charles and I'm about to mention, but we have these cool advanced stats. You can see the before contact, you can see the after contact, you can see the evasion rate both evaded tackles and broken tackles on the site. One of the things that kind of jumps out to me from time to time is that and I've mentioned this before. I think it's really cool to have all this information. There's a lot you can do with it in terms of understanding how running backs succeed or understanding why they fail. But you don't have to have a big erasion rate guy to be good, right? You have to have the athleticism to get through that hole and to gain yards. You have Elijah Mitchell and Daryl Henderson, two players with relatively pedestrian numbers in those categories, but they gain yards Before contact with Elijah Mitchell, we now have very good numbers in both categories because of that explosiveness in hitting the hole. And both of these guys, they were number one, number two in the NFC in terms of rushing yards this last week. They both scored touchdowns. Daryl Henderson gets in as both a rusher and a receiver, and they had been up 38-0. to Probably could have gotten the overall workload to really get up there. He's now into that group, and we have him. Fortunately, on a couple of teams where he could be kind of the missing link along with these wide receivers and now mitchell we're seeing number one why the 49ers pushed him up to the top of the depth chart what they see in him to be able to do some of these things that mostert jeff wilson some of those guys have done in the past and number two we're seeing why people paid 90 percent of their free agent budget after week one to get him uh, he could be a big part of what they do you can go to the Strength of Schedule streamer. You see he's got a great schedule the rest of the way. The one fly in the wind, perhaps is that Jeff Wilson does sound like he's getting healthy, and we know that the 49ers like him as well.
2: Yeah, that'll be interesting. So far, Elijah Mitchell has played right in that 60% snap range between 16 and 70% in every game that he's played, week one, week two, and, and then now these recent weeks that he's been back for. He's getting a lot of the, you know, all of essentially the early down rushes. He's not uh, running a ton of routes or catching a lot of passes, but it's not really mattering because he's such an efficient runner right now. Uh, yeah, he's an interesting one. I mean, the, the 49ers have generated more running back points than their high-value touches would indicate for a lot of years now. That's something that I've always kept in mind. You do, you know, it essentially Raheem Mostert is the player that, that that you know, we've been copying Elijah Mitchell to all year, but was able to be very, very productive productive, despite a lack of high value touches and Mitchell's, you know, sort of thriving in the exact same way. It is, you know, it's not necessarily great. The the one positive note in terms of again, high value touches and all of this is he's not getting a lot of receiving work, but in weeks one and two, Jamichael hasty got the goal line uh, the green zone carry in week one in week two, he got a green zone carry and a couple of green zone snaps Prior to Mitchell coming on, he had uh, Hasty had a, a long run in week two to get down to the five and stayed on the field. They didn't take him out for a breather after a long run, which you see so frequently. Kept him on the field for a couple of snaps. He got a carry down to the one. Then they brought in Mitchell, and Mitchell got uh, a carry from the one that I believe was originally ruled a touchdown and then overturned or, or something. It was very close to a TD, but didn't go down as a TD. But so yeah, in the first two weeks, Hasty ultimately had the two green zone touches and was certainly playing ahead of Mitchell in the green zone. This past week, Mitchell got both of the green zone touches. Hasty did not get any, there were none um, in, in week seven, they were both back. There were no green zone touches to be, you know, to be spoken for. So that was a positive for Mitchell, a little bit more touchdown equity. And we do know that the, the rushing efficiency is there. I think, I mean, essentially without receptions, he can still be a very strong, a strong player the rest of the way it's just, you know, like you said, it's a question of Jeff Wilson and all that stuff. I'm excited about it. I'm continuing, you know, like I'm starting him in, until I have a reason not to, but there are, you know, some minor concerns if he loses rush attempts. And uh, because he's so reliant just on that rushing efficiency, if he loses any goal line work, if he, you know, certainly never if a, a receiving role never develops, like it hasn't yet, there are some reasons to be, you know, slightly concerned. It's a, it's an an abnormal running back profile. I wanted to ask you about a very controversial back
3: for Stealing Bananas listeners, not probably the listeners, for the staff, right? And that is the situation with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, this has been this breakout season for Leonard Fournette, and people who drafted him have to be very excited to me And I'm a partisan in this battle, I won't pretend that I'm not. It's one of the things that's fun about actually participating is that you don't have to pretend that you're unbiased. So much of what's happened this season is that the Buccaneers are looking at this as that they're so good that they just need their running back to not make a mistake. We saw in this game this week, and it's, it's, you know, very sketchy to look at a week where someone you're not in favor of does poorly and say, oh, this, you know, I was right because of this one week. But in this game, one of the issues that seemed to just pop up so clearly is that if the Bucks don't have Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, they still have a lot of weapons, right? Almost every team in the NFL would love to have a Mike Evans and a Chris God and run them out there. God would look great in this game. But if your offense isn't just an all-star team, basically, and you're not blowing out your opponent it changes the dynamic a little bit to where you actually want your running back to be good. And as they trailed and struggled in this game against the Saints, every time that Fournette was out there, I'm just like, as someone who has Tom Brady on some teams and has Chris Godwin on some teams, and unrelated to what the running backs do, you know, want the Bucks to score some points and to get this game going. It's like, I don't want Leonard Fournette out there. We had the situation where they do decide to put in Geo for a few snaps. He immediately has this beautiful route, scores a touchdown. You're like, oh, okay. They realize that they're actually trailing in a game. They need to use Bernard. No, it goes back to Fournette, and he's back out there again. I just wanted to mention some sort of bigger picture stats because, in the same way that it's not appropriate to look at one bad game from Fournette and say, okay, oh, you know, we were right. He's not good. It's also something where when you're looking at a rising potential star like Ronald Jones. I just find it so frustrating that they would go away from him so quickly this season. Right. One of the arguments that Bruce Arians has is that, look, following the way I do things, you know, me, Bruce Arians, as the sort of cult NFL head coach, we won the Super Bowl. It's like I can do what I want when I've proven that I'm a Super Bowl winning head coach. But something I think is interesting is that different environments are different, different situations are different. What works, from a coaching perspective in one season, doesn't necessarily work the next season. What works in the first half of the season doesn't necessarily work in the second half. And you have to be flexible enough to make what works at that moment be the thing that you go with, as opposed to relying on this fact that, oh, you know, I've won a Super Bowl. And I wonder if the Buccaneers are doing this, and I wonder if they would get more value out of encouraging Jones as opposed to the tough love approach. We know that different people need different types of motivation and the thing here i was kind of looking again through the advanced stats and looking at this and you don't need very advanced stats to 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 look at this but looking at the 2020 season and ronald jones as a 3.3 yards after contact back and a five plus yards per attempt back and one of the things again that you notice here is that his evasion rate is not very good it was better than leonard Fournette's evasion rate last year Uh, Fournette is better this season but Jones is in that category of back like a Mitchell like a Darrell Henderson where he doesn't need to break as many tackles or evade as many tackles to create big plays and to create seven eight yard chunks and in the same way that Henderson and Mitchell are helping their offenses I would love to see him out there and doing some of these things he has such a good season in 2020 for him to be benched in favor of Leonard Fournette just feels like bullying feels like trying to prove that you can do what you want because you're Bruce Arians and watching this game. I felt from a reality perspective that maybe this could be an eye opener. Maybe the coaching staff would say, look, Fournette was not the guy that could help us in a big game, right? I mean, you don't care about all these teams that you're beating badly. When you go into the playoffs, you need to beat the Packers. You need to beat the saints. And I'm not sure that Fournette is the back to do that. Even though we saw last year, he played very well in the playoffs.
2: I thought similar watching this game that Fournette, you know, I, and look, Fournette has looked good. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think he's particularly good overall. And so, you know, again, same, same thing, rose-colored glasses or whatever. In, in this case, you know, neg- negativity bias or whatever bias it is. I don't even know if that's the right one. But uh, I felt the same way. The, the issue is I think we have a lot of evidence that, you know, you mentioned the tough love thing. We've been saying that for three years. Like Bruce Arians does not give a shit. Like all he cares about is proving his point to Ron Jones. I mean, honestly, he he very clearly does not understand that concept that you just said about the fact that Ron Jones probably doesn't respond well to the type of coaching that he's giving him. It's very very clear now, over the course of four seasons that he's been there. Ron Jones has been there. That he doesn't respond well to that. And Bruce Arians does not care. He's going to just keep coaching him the exact same way.
3: Sorry, go, can I get some Gio Bernard at least? Yeah. I mean, when Leonard Fournette catches the ball and tries to turn up field, I'm getting these Adrian Peterson flashbacks.
2: Yeah, and and look, like Fournette has done good things again. But I, I'm with you. I'm seeing the same stuff. Uh Fournette's thriving because of high-value touches. I wrote this week in the Kansas City and Giants game that as far as, you know, talent dubious backups go, Daryl Williams – and Devonte Booker had sort of the platonic ideal of the zero RB start. They both ran; they ran 67 and 68 percent routes uh, routes per drop back. They caught five and six balls. You get these nice PPR points as a base. They both had a solid number of rushing yards, solid number of receiving yards, such that they both went over 100 total yards without really being amazing in in either way. They're just you know compiling yards because they're being used in both ways. They both had like 15 carries. They both got a couple of green zone touches, neither even scored, but they both went over 15 PPR points just on that 100 yards. Touchdowns worth of, of receptions. It's this beautiful high-value touch role that we want. We want guys that run routes on two-thirds of their dropbacks, catch five or six balls, get some you know, get enough of the low-value touches to get this base of 50, 60 rushing yards, get 50 or 60 receiving yards. Boom. That is a fantastic profile. And then if you can score a touchdown as well, you are getting some green zone touches. Now you have a 20-point game. As I was writing about that, and it was great for these two backs, Williams and Booker, who are, you know, probably not the greatest backs in the world, but they have worked really well. And certainly this week was their, you know, one of their better weeks. And Williams, a couple of weeks ago, had that, and he had the touchdowns to go with it. As I was writing that, I was I almost put a line in there, and I was thinking in my head, this is what has worked so well for Leonard Fournette because the high value touches have been great for him. He's running the routes like uh, around that rate, maybe it's not quite that high, but certainly catching plenty of passes getting some rushing work, getting some receiving work. When you're getting touches in all phases, you're eventually going to pop off a 15-yard play or 20-yard play. You're going to get enough total yardage to get to at least 60 or 80 total yards. A lot of times it's 100 or 120. He's been getting a ton of green zone touches. He's second in the NFL over the past four weeks in green zone touches. And so he's gotten some TDs as well it's all the elements you should want in a fantasy producer. And that's why he's been very fantasy productive at the same time. Like there's nothing special about anything that he's done. There really isn't. I mean, people who think there is are, I I, I'm happy for you, but like he's at 4.3 yards per carry. That's not great. It's, it's, it's good. It's a little bit better than average. It's not great. And for his career, he's worse. He's at 6.1 yards per target. That's literally right at the running back average. Uh, I believe last I checked and over a large sample, it was like right at 6.0. He's at 6.1. And I believe he's also worse than that for his career. I don't have his full career here, but I'm just looking at his PFR, his pro football reference page. But he's like, he's been better this year. And like you said, he's having almost a career year because of the role and the opportunity and the situation. But to me, the way he's producing is very much the way that Daryl Williams and Devontae Booker just produced. I mean, he's he's a backup running back. He's just a guy who has the right types of touches and is getting the right types of opportunities. And is making the most of those in a really good offense. And that's fantastic. But I agree with you. You watch Ronald Jones run. He creates yards. He creates gash runs in a way that Leonard Fournette doesn't. And I, I think anyone who doesn't see that is is probably biased the other way. But again, I'm biased that way. So I don't know. We can sit here and twiddle our thumbs about this all day. But the reality is like Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, all them, they seem to freaking love Leonard Fournette and the, the idea that he's reliable when in reality, I'm not even sure he is. I mean, he, he puts the ball in the ground too, whether it's, you know, fumbles or or drops. He's had a couple of drops that have turned in. I think he only has like one fumble this year, but a couple of drops that have turned into interceptions if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I mean, he's just not like anything special at all. He's a very average big back who you can throw passes to and he'll catch at a decent rate and he'll get you what's blocked and, and maybe a little bit more occasionally and, that's all they really care and that's all they want i think they, they, they don't want to deal with the volatility of ronald jones even if he could create another element for their offense they don't want to deal with that he could fumble he could do something really stupid which he kind of has given them reason to believe that you know he can do i don't get the bernard part i agree with you geo has looked good in the yes yeah, these are different players right i i do want to point out that
3: at one point um the Chiefs had Charles buried behind Larry Johnson because he wouldn't hit the right hole. It's like, I don't know, whatever hole Jamal Charles goes through for 15 yards is the right hole to me. Uh, let Ronald Jones develop. Maybe you'll have a massive up in here. Partly joking, partly serious there on Leonard Fournette. He gave us a tiny window to be critical this season. We do need to let the listeners go today. We'll be back with a lot of awesome content on Friday. Uh, before we do, and, and, and no pressure here if you're like, I'm, I'm done, I'm out, that is all right. Do you have a signature stat that you want to leave us with? We have the Vikings getting shut down. We have the Broncos winning despite not being able to take advantage of any of their weapons. We have the New England Patriots behind Mac Jones looking like a creeping threat in the AFC. They defeat the Chargers on the road.
2: I'll give you a couple. I think Michael Carter has 21 high-value touches in the past two weeks. That is incredible. He had 14 total in the first five games. So that's super exciting. The Jets as a team have had um, the second and then tied for the third most by any team, high-value touches by any team in any game over the last two weeks that Mike White has played the whole game this past week and and a big part uh, two weeks ago.
3: You're gonna to have to take back your com your your comment about Mike White being in witness protection and not believing that to be his real name.
2: I, I thought he was a, a mad and creative player, but apparently he's a real guy and he's great for running back high value touches. I'll give you that Brandon Ayuk finally ran 100 percent of dropbacks. You mentioned on the Sunday show. He looked like more of the offense. He was out there for the entire game. I, I think you know, you might it might be worth trying to get a cheap deal done at this point. But the stat that was the weirdest one to me. Oh, you know what? I can also I also want to mention, I'm looking at my Stealing Signals article. There's just so many stats here. Jonathan Taylor, third straight season-high snap share, season-high 68% routes. And that was in a game where they threw as much as they did. We talked about how dumb that was on Sunday. But really interesting to me that he had a season-high snap share in this game despite 51 pass attempts. They were keeping him on the field in situations typically I would have expected Naheem Hines to be on the field a little bit more. So that's exciting. We're thinking Jonathan Taylor could score 28 points a game the rest of the way. I, I really am excited about what he's going to do the rest of the way. As efficient and as good as he's looked, he looks like you know young Adrian Peterson is the name that we keep throwing out. But who can catch passes? But who can catch passes? Who's and running routes and 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 the Colts had 4.5 yards per attempt and know they they need to run the ball more. I hope they have to know that the stat that was the craziest stat, the, the one that I keep alluding to. The Eagles this week and they crushed the Lions, right? They crushed the Lions. So you would expect them to have been run heavy. But our, our buddy Michael Leone at uh, Establish the Run has, you know, pass rate over expectation numbers. A lot of places doing it. It's a great stat. Love this stat. They had, because they won by some, third lowest expecta- expected pass rate of any team in any game this season. Despite the third lowest expected pass rate, their pass rate over expected, which is relative to their expectation in that game. And their expectation was already the third lowest. Their pass rate over expected was the second lowest figure for any team (laughs) in any game this season. They had literally the third lowest expected pass rate. And also the second, they were still, uh, I believe it's 16 percentage points below expectation. Which another way you can say that is to pull out the expected part and say, they're called the rate of called pass plays 30.6%. It was 3 percentage points lower than any other team has had all year. The only other team who has had a single game under 40%. 10 percentage points. I mean this is massive is the Bears and they've done it twice and we've seen those games with Justin Fields where they've just gone full run. It was one of the most bizarre games in in football this season that Eagles Lions game for a number of reasons but that That Eagles pass rate (laughs) was absurdly low. And I'll also add, (laughs) while while we're on this pass rate point, the Panthers, you talked last week how they had said they really wanted to be run heavy. They were at negative 15.5% pass rate over expectation. That was the fourth lowest figure for any team in any game this year. So they went really run heavy. You you mentioned uh, last week against the Giants, they told everyone they wanted to go run heavy. And then they tried to do that and they got killed by the Giants. They, they win this game against the Falcons, but they did go really, really run heavy again. And also their average depth of target was way down. It seemed like they were really trying to hide Sam Darnold now. So that was another point. Both the Philadelphia and Carolina offenses went massively run heavy this week. Pretty negative. Pretty negative and, and not not exciting.
3: It is. And you look at the Eagles. Was a lot of jokes about Boston Scott and Jordan Howard. I don't know how many DFS lineups you had Howard in but that was one of the craziest hits that we'll see. The Eagles obviously don't have confidence in Hurts passing. Uh, if you have Devontae Smith in a dynasty roster, you're definitely hoping that they do go in a different direction. I'm, I'm hoping for Jalen Hurts that he gets some of these things going, but when you look at the struggles that Tua is having with the Dolphins and you think about him really upgrading the Alabama passing attack, I just, there are some contextual things that don't feel great about these two guys as – NFL quarterbacks, I did make a note uh, in today's Zero RB watch that Shuba, despite having a lot of running back touches that aren't in great situations, he is at 2.4 yards after contact, which, again, I talk about how you need to be skeptical of some of these stats, but the reason that one is relevant for me is that there were a lot of concerns, again, from evaluators that he would be a guy who could occasionally give you a 50-yard run, but otherwise would be terrible, right? Someone who wasn't able to keep his legs driving at contact, someone who couldn't handle NFL defensive lines. I think that that question has been answered at least to an extent. He's not Christian McCaffrey. Nobody's going to be Christian McCaffrey. If McCaffrey can stay healthy, it's hard to see how Hubbard would even have standalone value. But, you know, we would have liked to have seen him get more of the receptions. They had Amir Abdullah come in and steal some of those this past week. We'd like to see their offense score more points while he was the main running back. But for an early career audition here, And, I mean, they're going to keep him as the backup. So, again, it's like, where do you really go from this? But I think Hubbard has looked good. I think you have to be excited about him if you added him in Dynasty, if you used him during the stretch. Uh, We have him on a lot of our teams, and and he was helpful filling in through some of these other injuries, you know, like with the Saquon Barkley. And just, you know, as part of a zero RB build, he did what he needed to do.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I guess you hope with Hubbard – uh, as time goes, the the role kind of can expand. He is a rookie, and when we know that teams limit rookies, sometimes.
3: well it's been fun chatting with you about the games. I'm already looking forward to the Friday show. Week nine is going to be a big uh hinge week in terms of where we would go with our teams in the fantasy season. We're rooting for everyone as they get their Thursday night and their week nine started. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. We appreciate you listening. If you can leave us a rating and review. If you left us a rating early on in the stealing bananas time frame, uh, don't feel any pressure to do anything else. But if you want to refresh your rating, it will help us with the algorithm there. Subscribe to our feed; you'll get the show earlier uh, if that matters to you at all. It's kind of fun to get it when it does come out there. Please follow and subscribe to Ben. You can follow him at Yards per Gretch, Subscribe to his Substack, the Stealing Signals newsletter, all the stuff that he's been talking about today. I mean, if you're listening and, and aren't subscribed to that, if you're listening to Ben, then well, I won't say there's something wrong with you because there's obviously not. You're listening to Stealing Signals, but I think you will enjoy it. On top of that, if you want to get a subscription to Roto-Biz, you can use the coupon code RV Radio twenty twenty one at checkout. You'll save ten percent there. And until we chat with you again, have a wonderful week.
4: MyPatriotSupply.com